The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hello and welcome to another edition of Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal Piston Rings. I'm Joe Costello, back again and super excited to be back with the Director of Technical Sales from Total Seal Piston Rings. It's been a minute or so, Mr. Keith Jones. Keith, welcome. How are you? I am doing great, and and to you, thank you, Joe, for having me back on. It's it's great, and like I say, been a little bit. Uh, it's been a pretty crazy year. You know, very very busy. Always trying to develop new product, work on new strategies. You know, come up with the, you know the latest next thing, and that takes up a little bit of your time. But here we are again, and glad, and we just say glad to be here. Well, this one is exciting in that uh, it's poignant, right? It's a it's a happening now kind of episode, which we just had a huge milestone out there in the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing, in the world of Pro Stock Motorcycle, where Vance and Hines swept the first-ever three-race-long Western Swing, which is a big deal. Guys like Greg Anderson and John Forrest and Joe Amato and Antron Brown had been the only people to do it. There's a full list. Corey Mack is involved. i got to make sure I say everybody. Dan Fletcher, Larry Dixon, Tony Schumacher, that's everybody. They had the first-ever opportunity to do it with Pro Stock Motorcycle, because it was the first time they ever went to all three races, and they did it. And, of course, they've got their new Suzuki program, and they use Total Seal Piston Rings, and so we had to bring him on. What do you know about Andrew and Vance and Hines, though, before we bring him on, Keith? Well, I would just say I know what I've read. Uh, and this will be the first time that Andrew and I have had a conversation. I've been to the shop. Uh, I've, I've worked with these guys for quite some time. They actually, you know, here at the shop, they deal with, you know, Kevin on a regular basis, but I have dealt with them in the past. And I, I just know that they've always been on the cutting edge. I've been, like you said, I've been to the shop, uh, you know, talked with Eddie quite a bit. And, you know, it's a state-of-the-art facility. These guys are, you know, they're not leaving any stones unturned. They're, you know, they're not just throwing parts at it. They're developing, they're testing, they're engineering. They are, you know, they are that they are that cut above. And, and that's why the name is who it is and why, you know, that legend is associated with that name. Uh, they go with this just like any, you know, just like a Warren Johnson or any of the pro stock guys would, or NASCAR teams. I mean, they, they come at it with all the technology. Yeah, I'm excited. I think a lot of people are going to be excited, too. Terry Vance, Byron Hines, of course, Matt, and our guest, Andrew Hines, joins us now, the winningest pro stock motorcycle racer in history, who has now turned crew chief and doing a great job. Andrew, welcome to Hidden Horsepower. Hey, thanks, guys. Good to be here. Yeah. So you guys did something that has never been done before. That's pretty cool and uh, hard to do these days. You're just days out from the accomplishment. How do you feel about it? I think hard to do is an understatement. That was uh, a pretty grueling three weeks. Um, you know, it's, it's not untypical for our teams to go three races in a row. We've done that multiple times throughout the last uh, 10, 15 years of Pro Stock Motorcycle. But the difference between Denver and Seattle and Sonoma is is quite uh quite drastic i mean especially running the suzuki up there on the mountain that was something that we hadn't really had much success with in in the last couple of years uh the b twins kind of beat us up up there uh, matt smith was showing us the way but uh we uh we kind of adapted some new technology that we've been working on here you know thinking about denver specifically we knew it was going to be you know the last one to run there so why not throw the gauntlet at it and figure out how to make a suzuki run there a little better so um we modified a couple engines and took them up there, up there, and it was a, a priority to run as good as we could at a track that basically was our home facility for a long time. So 
uh, when we got that one out of the way, that was that was pretty fantastic. And then you know, it just we just kind of took it back to business as usual. And and with Gage riding the bike this year the way he is, it made uh, Seattle and Sonoma kind of uh, our, our normal standard here lately, going killer sixty foot, and that just equated to monstrous ETs at the finish line. Yeah, you've had some of the quickest or the quickest ever sixty foot times. We have. Uh, we got to go track down Hector Jr. to find out like exactly the quickest uh, he's ever run, but uh, certainly some big numbers. And for our audience, Keith, I think you know we've got a lot of uh, you know dirt track engine builders, a lot of drag racing engine builders, a lot of late model stuff. I think it's going to be very interesting to query Andrew on how this Suzuki program is a little bit different. You know the V twin stuff that you guys rode like when you were where you were the Harley team. That, I guess, is similar with the big pistons and all. But uh, the Suzuki program, relatively new. You guys have got billet cases now. You've really forged ahead with what technology is available and capable in Pro Stock Motorcycle. Um, Let's start at the beginning, I guess, as best as we can, Andrew, with Vance and Hines. You guys, you know, Byron and, and Terry, competitors, friends, started years ago. Exhaust pipes, parts, pieces. It has blossomed into this where you guys are involved in of course drag racing and pro stock motorcycle but all kinds of different motorcycle racing programs you now guys even do truck exhausts yeah we we run everywhere now i mean we even have uh road racing baggers that run in moto america that are running uh the the harley 131 cubic inch motors at 7,000 rpm and making nearly 200 horsepower and being reliable with total seal piston rings i mean it's uh it's a cool deal. I mean, but going all the way back, like you said, um, you know, something that kind of that came up across the Western swing was, uh, there was a guy that stopped by our trailer in Seattle. He was there on Thursday while we were setting up and he brought a picture of a, a really old motorcycle. And I was looking at him and, you know, clip on handlebars, lay down bike, you know, a skinny seven inch slick tire, maybe even a six inch slick tire back then. And he's like, your dad built this bike in 1974. And I'm thinking like, yeah, that's that's cool. But then, then it dawns on me. My dad built that motorcycle when he was 25 years old, fresh out of the army, and working at RC Engineering. Um, and he just, you know, he learned from those guys back in the day and figuring out, you know, he, you know, he was always mechanically inclined and figuring, working on cars and trucks and riding his dad's motorcycle back in the in the 60s. But to see somebody, you know, come out to Seattle, the first event the Pro Stock Motorcycle had been to ever up there and uh, we got nostalgic people from back in the day showing us really cool images of motorcycles that have been around that started the history of pro stock motorcycle kind of hit home there for a minute. So, uh, kind of, kind of clicked on there that, you know, my dad was, you know, the pioneer with Terry at the beginning of you know, bringing pro stock motorcycle and motorcycle drag racing to the forefront at that time. So all the stories that they come up with every, every day is, is absolutely mind boggling. I wish I could write them all down and, and remember them years on down the road. Um, so, you know, through the seventies, my dad worked at RC engineering with Terry Vance and, uh, in through 78, 79, they decided that, you know, they maybe needed to branch out on their own to, to further better what they wanted to do. And they started Vance and Hines in late 1979 and it was primarily exhaust systems and ignition point systems for motorcycles that were out there and doing upgrades on bikes and you know, uh, overboring cylinders and things like that. And then it turned into, uh, primarily the, the exhaust division of Vance and Hines through the, through the mid eighties and the big push into the nineties with, uh, 
the Harley exhaust market. But drag racing and any type of racing was never out of the mind of those guys. It was it was always the push. You know, even after Terry retired in 1988, uh, the next push was um, my dad to go racing in the early 90s and pro stock, and uh, it turned into my brother racing in 1996. And shortly thereafter, in 02, I started racing. It's just been the progression ever since. But the the heritage of Vance and Hines is finding the the next level of performance in any part of the engine. You know, we know that horsepower makes et and uh if you compare that with a good chassis setup it, it goes a long way on winning races i i always compare you guys in in within pro stock motorcycle to a version of a formula one team if that makes sense smaller scale but you have all the technology and you build and make whatever you need that you think will work and maybe it does or maybe it doesn't and then you go back and, and you do it again within that realm of NHRA Pro Stock Motorcycle. And then you take that technology, what you learn, and you apply it to products that people can buy for their own stuff and uh, and use it. And it, it maybe sounds better. It's definitely faster and quicker. Is that a crazy analogy? Um, you know, Formula One level, you know, definitely not. But uh, as far as compare for comparison's sake, probably yes, as far as the, you know, class leader in, in technology and performance on the track. Uh, I got a lot of good guys here that work, you know, relentlessly to try and make 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 these parts as good as we can design them and as good as we can conceptualize them. So, you know, the technology we have nowadays versus, you know, back when my dad was really pioneering everything. You know, what what you can do with a four hundred dollar three D printer now to prototype things and try intake systems or throttle bodies or things like that on the engine or airbox pieces or chassis jig parts you know it's just the list goes on of what you can do in a quick time frame with minimal effort and a little bit of cad design so uh, we try and push as far as we can you know we have a lot of cool machines we have a lot of uh, a lot of resources here but you know sometimes things don't need to be over engineered they can just be I call it flat plate 2d technology and you can make a lot of cool things happen with with fixturing or uh developing the first concept before you go to five axis machining or, you know, up just a standard three or four axis mill. So it's, uh, it's really cool. And, you know, there's been a, so many different things that have led to the success of Anson Hines. And, and now with them moving into the truck market, like you mentioned earlier, it's, it's just, uh, it's taken a, a step away from the motorcycle realm and going into the car world, but it's something that needs to be done for, uh, for the evolvement of, of the company you know it's uh motorcycles are unfortunately dwindling out there not as many production models coming out of all the major manufacturers so the evolution was to go uh go with four wheels that are still out out there and proud so it's cool that they're out there uh you know we got to go to SEMA last year and debut the Vance 9 truck line and, and get people excited about it and we got it all plastered all over the back of our trailer drag races and it has popped up so much interest upon uh you know the the NHRA consumer, I believe, is probably heavy on driving pickup trucks. And there's been so much that has come out of that. It's been really cool. Keith, jump in with a question for Andrew. Well, you know, Andrew, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, being a drag race guy, and I've been around this, you know, all my life, and, you know, watching you guys from, you know, the early days to now. And, and I'm going to make a couple of comments that people may not like. Uh, but, you know, and we'll just say, I grew up riding, you know, we'll say you know, Japanese motorcycles, 
And and I love the American V-Twin. I love that market. I love that product. But when the V-Twin came into the pro stock world, uh, we just asked, I, I, I thought there was, it was a, there was a lot of generosity there that made things a little lopsided in my, in my humble opinion. Uh, but it's great to see the, you know, for me, it's like, I, I mean, I mean, I'm an RPM guy. I'm the, you know, I'm the, the comp eliminator, you know, 11,000 RPM, 287 inch, you know, small block lover. And it, you know, for me, it stokes me to, you know, to see how the inline fours are running. And where I'm going with all this is where do you think that, where did you guys turn that corner? Is it the advent of, you know, better parts, you know, the billet blocks, you know, I mean, because, you know, kind of what Joe was saying earlier, which you guys, you know, you can go out and you can go on Summit's website and buy a whole lot of really cool parts and build you a big block Chevy. Uh, not so much for what you guys do. You got to build it, develop it, prototype it. So, you know, is it parts technology? Is it engine development technology with Suzuki and yourselves? Uh, you know, w- would you say where did this come from? I, you know, it's kind of a big loaded question, but. Uh, you know, going from the V-twin stuff, you know, our, our roots with Vance nines were always four cylinders back in you know the eighties. There was Hondas and Suzuki's and Kawasaki's and everything that came through Vance and Hines, they, they won on. And, you know, the, the V-twin thing was just a proponent of sponsors wanting to bring something new into the class. So, you mm-hmm. know, once we had our run there at 20 years with, with Harley Davidson and V-twins, our, our natural progression was to go back to our roots and go to four cylinders, you know, through that whole time frame, we were supplying Vance Nines customers with our, our two-valve version of the you know GS-based platform from way back. You know, that's like the 350 Chevy of the motorcycle world. It's the GS 1150. It's just mm-hmm. everybody built parts for it. It was the easiest thing to get parts for, and it's just the workhorse. Um, so going back to the Suzuki, you know, uh, there was uh, another company out there that had pushed their four-valve cylinder head to get it approved for NHRA. And once that came about, we, we approached NHRA and said, well, we'd like to do our own version of it. You know, the one that's out there is, it was designed probably 12 years ago now. And it wasn't designed for pro stock. It was designed for some other categories. Once uh, NHRA wanted to help out the four cylinders a little bit versus the V-twins, um, it was accepted as a, a platform for, for NHRA. And we were allowed to go down our road to design a four valve head as well. Uh, so that's where, you know, the, the cylinder head reliability has come about, you know, with the four valves, it's the valve train is way more controlled, you know, still a dual overhead cam, um, spinning 14,000 plus RPM, you know, some of these things are going 14.2, 14.3 out there. Uh, but still the, the biggest holdup right now is, is one, the, the cases were a major problem. You know, once, once we went to the four valve platform, power levels went up, efficiency went up. RPM is really about the same because the the, the limiting factor is the crankshaft right now. But the power level went up so high, and then as the the four valve platform proved itself, you know, by us making it faster and other teams, like Steve Johnson, those guys making it faster, they had to start stacking weight on the four cylinders, and then all of a sudden you have to accelerate that extra mass. And when you're still trying to go 103, 60 foot at either 600 pounds or 600 now 640 pounds it just applies so much more load and stress to the cases with through the clutch into the primary gear of the of the crankshaft it literally was splitting the cases in half because you know you, you have to move it you got to get the rpm up you got to throw the clutch at it at the right time and we went through i think between our two bikes last year we went through about 11 sets of cases so we had already been in the works on the billet case 
which was our fix for the cases. And those came out this year, uh, had those in the approval process for more like the last couple of years, finally got the prototype set done, delivered to NHRA in Dallas last year. And that's proved uh, huge for reliability. We haven't had any problems there. Uh, knock on wood, luckily the, the first design has been the only design. We haven't had to remake anything, retool anything. It's been all good. And it, it did not allow us to achieve any more horsepower. It's just reliable from run to run where we're not coming back to the shop and swapping out crack cases where we're actually coming back to the shop and working on improvements to find more horsepower. So last year was uh, was such a burden with coming back and knowing that more than likely the cases are cracked and they're not going to make it through the next race, so we got to fix them. Um, but the next evolution on that is a plane-bearing crankshaft, and we have approval from Trade now to work on that for next season. So that will require uh, another version of our Vantanine's billet cases. Um, we're going to have – plain bearing mains, plain bearing rods, split rods, uh, but the packaging is tight. You know, we, we can't just, you know, I guess we could, but uh, as a company, we want to be nice enough to our competitors and any of our customers that buy this equipment where they don't have to buy a case and redo their whole chassis or redo a whole motor plate. You know, a lot of it's going to be drop-in pieces. So at the sacrifice of keeping everybody happy and keeping costs under control where people don't have to buy a new chassis or, or build a new exhaust pipe or different things like that. It'll be more of a drop in, but I have to find compromises in the design of, of uh, where the transmission can be laid out in the case and, and where the split rod, how the split rods are made. So we're working in that aspect right now. Uh, It's going to be about a six month project, which we just got the approval this past weekend. So we'll be testing that to hopefully prior to Gainesville next year. And that'll be the next, uh, next thing that'll allow us to go a little higher in RPM. You know, it's just a multiplier on, on, on torque, right? So we can go out there and, and see if we can spin these things a little bit higher. I mean, not that we really uh, want the piston to go through that abuse, <laughs> but uh, a couple hundred RPM here and there would be good. I found it interesting that you guys were using stock cases up until very recently, up until this billet case approval, which meant, you know, as crazy as it seems, like hunting through junkyards, like finding cases, getting cases, and and a a stock case would not last very long, and all kinds of crazy modifications, like very old school style, like you had to do things to shore it up and make it last and live and all of that, and finally NHRA gives the approval for you guys to just go ahead and make make one that's going to be better, and uh, I think the sport is clearly better for it. And I love the fact that we see 200-mile-per-hour runs now on a fairly regular basis, not that they're related, but that you can work on performance instead of scouring junkyards. Yeah, exactly. That was that was tough. Uh, you know, we were using new stock 1150 cases up until, well, we just ran out probably last year. Um, Suzuki made a run of stock cases. They, they retooled the dies in probably – the late 2000s and they were pouring you know pouring you know more modern aluminum into it everything was way better way better than the stock oe case from 35 years ago um and everything worked fine in a two valve engine at you know 375 horsepower and turning you know 13,800 to 14,000 rpm but now the power level went up the weight went up and like i said they just they're it's just a ticking time bomb in the engine on, on whether they're gonna 
they're not going to make it through an ex- uh, a crankshaft failure or a piston failure. That's that's the problem. But just normal race wear was it was five runs, six runs on some sets. Now most of those sets were the ones we had to get out of a junkyard because all that new new stock 1150 stuff had been depleted. So it, some at some point people were you know it was almost worth their weight in gold. You know they were they were crazy expensive. People charging five six thousand dollars for a set of cases that were that were uh, unused, but then all of a sudden they have to buy a set of $1,200 cases out of a junkyard still covered in dirt and grime from the bike that came out of that was put in the junkyard 25 years ago. So, you know, the, the need for them has been there for a long time. You know, it would have, it would have uh, mitigated a lot of problems with even just a normal run of the mill explosion on the track. You know, it wouldn't have thrown a rod through the case. It wouldn't have ripped the whole side of the engine off. It would have, uh, it would have alleviated a lot of pain for people in the past, but the the need was was really ramped up when the four valves came around three years ago, and we were the first ones to step up to the plate for the billet case. It's just that's a major investment. Um, it takes about seventy five hours of machining to make everything that's needed for the case between the transmission access door, the oil pan, the ignition cover, clutch cover, everything that goes into it. You know, it's it's a nearly two-week process per case that we make. So we make them in batches of three, six, or eight right now. You know, at first we did threes because we were trying to get them to everybody that needed them. You know, the MSR team, the war team, uh, Kelly Klontz, anybody that needed engine cases. We, were, we weren't just hogging them for Vance and Hines. It was, all right, we keep one, we sell two. Then the next batch, we keep one, we sell four. So it uh it worked out to get them out there in the field quickly that way we we didn't want to have that bad for the class you know with people having issues and and having to work on that problem throughout the season we wanted to get out there early well one of the things that you know i look at and and it's kind of a comment and a question is just is also like you see reliability trying to keep the costs down uh you know like you say you're failing cases every weekend that's expensive to build that's expensive to fix uh but was there a consideration from a safety point of view? Because, you know, like any engine out there, I mean, you know, tires don't like to drive over oil. And, you know, as you guys, everybody knows, you're riding on it, not in it. And getting off at 200 miles an hour can never be a good thing. So did NHRA ever, you know, was there ever a look at it from a safety point of view, just going, hey, we got to come up with something where we can keep the rods in the engine if we were to have a failure? Uh, was that ever a consideration or part of the consideration? Uh, Years ago, NHRA implemented make, to making sure that uh, the bottom side of the motorcycles are sealed up as good as they can be to prevent oil escaping if there was a failure. So we we don't run like a like a top fuel diaper or anything like that, but we do run pig mat in the bottom of the oil pa- uh, belly pans. There's walls on all the belly pans and fairings that are out there now to prevent uh, most of the oil from getting out. Most of the oil is typically that you'd see coming out of a motorcycle if there's an engine failure, it comes through through the vacuum pump scavenge system. So as soon as there's a window in there and you got 25 inches of vacuum on it, then all that oil just goes through the vacuum pump out into the, the catch can and overflows the catch can. And if that's not baffled right or designed right, then obviously it'll overflow and go right out the back of the bike. So typically if you see oil on a racetrack like Joe, we had this past weekend that Hector Jr. kept talking about, Yep, that's typically a uh, – a, vacuum scavenge problem where there's usually a vacuum leak in the engine somebody left the cover loose or something like that and it's drawn air through and overflows the catch can and out it goes so um as far as the the other safety aspect though you know the 
where the billet cases saved us. Uh, we blew an engine up in Gage's bike, unfortunately, in Norwalk, second round of eliminations, which is why he lost that round. And it threw it threw the number three rod off the crankshaft. And that's very reminiscent of when I started racing, when I was te- before I even started racing, when I was testing for my license. I was, I was at a track in Oklahoma City, Thunder Valley, and not many people probably know this story, but it was like my sixth or seventh run ever on a pro stock motorcycle. I was using old worn out parts from my brother that we just pieced an engine together and we struggled with some carburetors and jetting and it kept bogging off the starting line. And finally we got it right. And I made it to about a thousand foot through the number three rod off. And on the stock case, when you throw number three off, that's right where the exhaust collector is for the four and one. And my bike turned into a fireball on the shutdown area. So luckily now with the billet case, if you throw a rod off, it doesn't throw all the oil out of the engine. So um, that's a, I guess, a improved safety factor when I design these cases Typically, you know, probably 95% of the time, the engine and the rod, it likes to throw it out the front. Very rarely have we seen one go back towards the clutch or transmission or out the back of the case. So uh, it definitely uh, helps in that aspect. You know, the last thing you want is your nice, you know, $175,000 motorcycle going up in flames. (laughs) No, no, no doubt. (laughs) <laughs> well, I want to throw a dumb question at you because you threw you brought up the number three rod thing, and yep. uh, you know, being of you know again, you know, having had many motorcycles, I I know you know I've owned Kawasaki's, Honda's, Suzuki's. I've had a bunch. Currently, I've got Suzuki, you know, uh, older SV one thousand, but what a fun bike, lightweight, torquey as hell, you know, just just a fun machine. But I've had Kawasaki's, I've had ZX's, I've had the, and what is it about the number three in the motorcycle engine? Cause that is the one you all, for at least for me and the people that I'm around, that is the one you always hear to be the failure, you know? So is it obviously an oiling thing or is there something else? Uh, well, on the, all, all the GS stuff and all the, the center drive chain crankshafts from back in those days, it's, uh, that's right where the primary gear drives the clutch. So that one's getting the most amount of torque and flex, through that part of the crank and it seems to be the one that is the major culprit on that and assuming it's just from deflection from the clutch pushing you know pushing itself away uh you could get some weird scavenge coming off it with the oil there but seem like seems like number three is the most picky i mean don't get me wrong we've thrown number one off when typically it's either one or three can't really describe that or can't really put a pinpoint on that one Combustion analysis says that it always should be number one, but <laughs> uh, it must be something just in the inherent design of, of a flat plane crank with driving next to number three that becomes the major problem. Like, yeah, you know, like say a harmonic or you know some kind of a like yeah, I I get it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, exactly. well, thank you, you for know, answering you, that. I appreciate that. You know, yeah, flat absolutely. Cranks are, you know, the, we both know difficult. I didn't yeah, know that. Exactly. You know the. I didn't know that Keith Jones was such a motorcycle guy. I didn't know that Keith. <laughs> I, I, I would just say I've been riding motorcycles before I had a driver's license. <laughs> there you go, Andrew. Since this is uh, you know Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal, we we've learned over the episodes of this podcast how the rings have changed. Right, rings packages have changed. They they're thinner. The different coatings, all the, the the whole gamut of concepts that we've covered over this deal. Uh, how about in motorcycles? Is it does it track? With pro stock, does it track with everything else? Thinner, narrower, different coatings. Do you just apply that to 
your setups, or is it something different that the 14,000 RPM uh, combination wants? And uh, you mentioned to me when I asked you on the show, like not only do you use Total Seal, you've got a Rottler. So it's it sounds like you're right in line with the technology uh, that that is current right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, keeping the keeping the cylinder pressure where it should be above the rings is priority, and we've uh, we've always gone down that road. Uh, especially, I'd say probably the last ten years has been the biggest push on that on our side. You know, for a while it was just like, all right, let's just run it on a rod hone and put some sort of cross hatch in it with some sandpaper, and you're good to go. But that's come come and gone by a long distance now. Uh, you know, our our rotler, uh, our rotler hone has been huge on keeping the cylinders round um that's been phenomenal having that machine in our shop here for the last five years uh and then working with the guys at total seal you know they're always they're always pushing the envelope on what they want to do and you know always talking with matt at the racetrack trying to figure out what's your newest technology you got that's going to be the trickle down from what these crazy pro stock guys are constantly trying to do and you know they, they the effect is there and we always i feel like we're always trying to find that next little avenue, whether it's, you know, we tried the conform cuts years ago. We tried uh, gas ported rings and everything has been just that little bit of uptick here and there whenever we needed it, you know, especially on our V twin back in the day with a five and an eighth inch bore, you really need to make sure that thing's round and you got the right ring in there to, to capture all the pressure. So we tried so much stuff over the years. I mean, we were running the, uh, what was it, Keith? Probably a 1.2 mil ring for a long time, and by oh, the yeah. time we were done with our program two years ago, we were down to like a, the the 027, 028 ring. So on uh, yeah. Suzuki's, we you guys migrated you know, all the, the way down to the 0.7s. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So we're and with Suzuki, we've gone even thinner. So we've had some some things that we've uh, R&D'd over the years to try, but it seems like that that 0.7 is the is the winner as far as the uh, reliability over time and and cost and and performance it's it's been working really good and then the rpm thing is is the killer i mean the uh you know for spinning 14,000 rpm with a stroke and rod ratio we have the pistons going through some serious speed and trying to figure out what coating it needed to live especially in the high you, you say high temperature but it's or i say high temperature but it's it's for such a small amount of time, but with these engines making 3.6 horsepower per cubic inch, they are putting out some major heat on every cycle, and it's an air-cooled engine wrapped in bodywork that has no airflow going through the motorcycle, and it is really, really angry when it gets to that last 300 feet of the racetrack. So finding that right combination of uh, ring thickness and coating has been huge, and those guys at Total Seal knocked it out of the park for anything we've ever needed. Wow, I'll just go to my good old boy, Williams, please. <laughs> it's the truth i mean they got good 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 stuff and we use them for man how many years has it been now i don't even know i mean i know uh, uh, when we started the harley uh, program we ordered custom ring sets for you guys that we had to buy it just because it was for our specific bore size only back in the day oh yeah you guys were you were right there and, and it was funny you mentioned the rod home thing because the very first time i came by your shop and you know got the tour and it was you guys were honing on a rod home so it was like Okay. You know, it, it is so great to see. Well, what's so funny is, you know, different industries, different segments of the industry adopt technologies at different speeds. And, 
you know, at that time, that was that was how it was done. That's what guys in the motorcycle world did. And you guys are one of I'll call it one of the very very earliest, if not the earliest, adopter of you know of the technology. And like I say, got involved with Rottler, got the diamond head, got the six stone head, got I think your six might have an eight or a ten. But you know, looking at you know board geometry, ring technology, it's you know it may be strapped in a motorcycle, but it's still an engine, and the same rules apply whether it's 500 inches or now this is going to sound stupid. What is a displacement on yours? 1400 cc? I mean, what is it? It's a 1850, so it's 113 cubic inches. Okay, so I'm, so I'm saying I didn't know, so I, I went to the yeah. dumb guy. Uh, so. But the technology applies, you know. So that's the thing. Working with you guys and and the willingness to. As you say, you know, try the conforming, try the get, you know, to try things. That's, you know, we have to, we got to test it to try it to move forward. And and we'll say, love that working relationship, you know, to throw out the crazy ideas and have you go, yeah, we'll try that. Yep. And then the working with uh, oil manufacturers, and we work really closely with uh, David at High Performance Lubricants and finding the right package for the hone, you know, the hone for the RPM is, is different than it needs for a, a 10,500 pro stock. Uh for this ring pack, for this piston design, and then working with the oil we got, just, you know, there's, it's a constant evolution, Joe. It's just trying to find the, what this package wants. Cause we've, we've done, we've gone down different roads in the past with, Oh, let's, you know, what's the next best thing. Let's try this oil. And we throw it in there. And all of a sudden our pistons are just pumping oil out the exhaust pipes. Like, well, that didn't work with this ring package or this ring. Everything has to work progressively together. And we've been, you know, working with, uh, with Rottler and all those guys and what next uh, diamond heads coming out, what stones we might use, you know, our guy Scott here that, that works on the race, drag race team at the racetrack. He's our home guy when we're at here at the shop. So, you know, he's in the, he's in the engines at the shop. He's, he's in the engines at the racetrack and we're trying to make sure that everything is right all the time. And he's in constant contact with Ed at Rottler trying to find that next Avenue. Cause you know, the days of finding, you know, five, six, seven horsepower in, in a, you know, I guess if you're, in a, in a pro stock car world, you're looking for the five, six, or seven because you're making fifteen hundred or fourteen hundred. But for us, making four hundred horsepower, right now we're we're trying to find those ones and twos. And if a three extra three pops up on the board, that's that's pretty impressive. But it's uh it's so refined right now with the the push from the entire industry that these engines are are really great in your first concept, and then it just takes that little bit of refinement to make them that little bit better. That might find you the next hundredth and a half at the racetrack. Little shout out to Scott Scareman, works on the team, of course, and uh, Ed from Rottler. Uh, really interesting, but the number that shocked me, Andrew, you know, we never talk about it in that context, but maybe we should. 3.6 horsepower per cubic inch out of a pro stock motorcycle engine. Mm hmm. That's pretty, yep, uh, uh, that's like we talk three horsepower per cubic inch out of a pro stock engine, approximately, and it's a big deal, and we're, you know, they're the pinnacle of naturally aspirated, but. I don't know. Like, I think you guys maybe should get a little more love for that. <laughs> That's out of a air-cooled engine, too. I mean, if we could get some water cooling in the thing, it'd be making way more power at the finish line than it is right now. It's just, uh, you know, trying to get these things cooled down between rounds is is difficult. Um, you know, the amount of heat they put out is is, is insane. You know, when I'm on the dyno and I'm making back-to-back pulls, if I'm in an R&D session, I can make – I can only make about mm, – 14 pulls a day due to just the cool down time it takes from one run to the next, you know, it's just blowing a fan across it. And, 
and wait until the, the cylinder head temperature gets back to a specific number. You know, if, if you miss it by five degrees, you might as well just throw that run away and come back again at the next right temperature the next time. So uh, the difference between, you know, like if I go in the dining room and break a motor in, you know, making that same, say a same tune-up run that's just going up to 12,500 RPM, which is kind of the, the warm-up first pull of the day, do that a couple times. You know, I can make a pull every seven or eight minutes. Uh, once I start ripping it up to 13.5, just that last 1,000 RPM that takes a second and a half, it takes an extra 10 minutes to cool it down. It's insane how much more heat those things can put out at that horse at that power level. Yeah, no, heat's the enemy. I mean, it's the, it's one of the things that we battle with, you know, in, in almost every end of what we do, whether it's, you know, from diesel applications to pro-stock motorcycle. It's it's getting rid of the heat. You know, it's finding a way to move that heat out of there, and that's, as you and I both know, I mean, through the piston, into the ring, into the wall, and then out. And in your case, you know, your 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 coolant is the airflow, and the lack thereof. It's just that's the battle, and it's part of the challenge that we have to deal with with ring materials and coatings, all the things that you've talked about, how it's honed. You know, I, I get the calls every day about you know how do I hone my stuff, and it's you know you need to tell me everything you can about it. It's not just a mm-hmm. one thing fits all kind of a program. You know, what are you doing with this thing? How what's the RPM? What's the cylinder? And, uh, heat, heat is the enemy, so I definitely, I, I you know, realize what you guys are dealing with there. It's insane. All right, before we let you go, Andrew, and Keith, I want you to prepare your last question for Andrew. But I got to ask you for a story about, like, growing up with your legendary dad and, your, you know, your brother. You're out on the tour. You referenced a couple. You already told us one where you went to a ball of flames. But there's no way that... You know, you've been out here uh, doing this like your life, your entire life has been part of NHRA, but being over the road, motorcycle races, representing a family business, all of that, that you don't have one queued up that would be fun and entertaining for the Hidden Horsepower audience. (laughs) There's so many, Joe. There's probably some I shouldn't talk about either, but those are the ones um, we want, Andrew. Now, whichever one, whichever one you got you think makes sense, lay it on us. Oh, it's just, you know, so many different memories over the years. And, um, you know, from seeing people, you know, Columbus racetrack back in the day, seeing people jet ski in the, in the parking lot, because we got so much rain that weekend. That was, that was something that stuck with me for a long time. It was like 96 Columbus. And, um, you know, there's been some other interesting things that have happened in Columbus with cars exploding in pit areas and things like that. Yes. uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> not rental cars. We're not going down that road. That was a, I heard a race car explode in, in Columbus one year. Um, just uh, just amazing stuff all around. I mean, watching performances of some of these cars and motorcycles throughout the years, there's just, God, I wish I could pinpoint one thing that's phenomenal. I mean, I, I remember going to Topeka when I was, let's see, probably – 10, 11 years old, Jim Epler going 498 in his funny car and, you know, seeing the first 300 mile an hour running funny car, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a history buff on the, on the sport, you know, I'm, and you know that I'm a very stat minded guy. I don't, I'm not just a motorcycle guy. I try to, you know, keep everything in my brain about everything that goes on at the track all weekend long. We're constantly listening to the PA, hearing what you guys are saying about runs. But it's just uh, it's cool to be involved in drag racing. You know, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with it right now. We got great people coming out to the to the tracks and packing in these stands. Even Sonoma this past weekend was probably the most full I've seen it. It's just uh, it's phenomenal. But uh, 
you know, there's been some after hours antics that have happened over the years and probably most notably lately is the uh with mission foods coming aboard and ryan ayler trying to find different ways to <laughs> create fun situations with cardboard cutouts and tortilla chips it's there's there's stories all around. If people really want to get to know what's going on, they can come ask us at the ropes, and we can divulge more. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And uh, before we get to Keith's final question, uh, you did reference it though. Okay, you know you guys run a shorter season than everybody else. Uh, certainly the top fuel and funny cars, and you're in crunch time now, right? You've had an unbelievable season with Gage Herrera, your new racer here in 2023. He's won six races. You won the Pro Stock Callout. You won some Mission Foods Too Fast Too tasty challenges for those people who don't know what those are you can go and look them up on nhra's website but there's been a lot of bonus races added this year which is made for a lot of fun and excitement and all kinds of good stuff and certainly we encourage you to watch the coverage but how do i say this delicately other than not even trying to if you guys don't win the championship after all of this you will be very angry uh, that is my assessment no. what about yours yeah well let's hope it doesn't go like i mean Nine, like when I won in 19, I kind of crushed it all through the regular season also, kind of like Gage is doing, but I really had a terrible countdown. So my uh, my goal is to not shoot myself in the foot and make too many changes to, to the engine where I get lost, and that's really what happened in 19. But um, like you said, we, we've we had this wave roll. We're just riding this wave right now, and I, don't, I really don't see any problems with us the rest of the, the year as long as we have uh, all our parts lined up ready to go fresh crankshafts and uh fresh sets of cp pistons and all that to, to drop in there so um we ran really well through the countdown last year with both bikes so i don't i don't see any issues with you know track to track uh different types of weather different things like that so really looking forward to the rest of the year this uh this month of off in august since the motorcycles aren't running topeka and brainerd is is well needed for us and the entire class i mean parts attrition through the western swing is is tough on everybody um and you know with all these four-cylinder suzukis we make all the crankshafts here at vance and Hines for everybody so uh, our guys in the in the machine shop are making uh, 15 more sets of all the crank parts right now and we'll get the make sure everybody's stocked up for the end of the year so it's going to be good um i think gage is uh he's he's in the middle of a, a great great uh confidence building time right now you know we had a couple of struggles there in bristol and norwalk but getting that rebound in denver and then going back to sea level and keeping the bike in the performance window that it is i mean the the 60 foot this chassis and, and gauge are capable of putting out i mean the clutch setup everything is on point i got jay jay Craywick, who's ed's little brother he's uh he does all the clutch maintenance on gauge's bike and if he see something out of spec he lets me know we keep track of everything if we got to drop some plates in here or there it's it's like clockwork right now i mean the guys are great it's uh it's a great time for everybody on our team pretty fantastic i mean the uh the hours these guys work and the the grind i put them through you know if i'm having to dyno three or four different engines in a day i got great guys around me that it's not just one guy every time i might pick on somebody at a different time and be like, hey, I need help for the next couple hours, and here we go. And it's just uh, everything, everything to get every uh, uh, what's the word preparedness. It's all the preparedness. So we're gonna have everything right, get it all lined up here for Indy, try and make some noise at our home track, and go on from there. Keith, final question for Andrew. 
Well, it, it, it the, the question I have, and like I say, you know, hopefully, uh, don't take this the wrong way, you know. But I, I'm just saying, you, your new responsibilities, you're the crew chief, you're what I call the conductor of the orchestra. You've got all these people working with you, working for you, you know, making sure everything happens, engine development, new product development, you know, all this, you know, all this responsibility. I'll just say, you know, do you miss it? Sitting on it. You go to Indy, there's an extra bike in the trailer, and like, Andrew, there you go. <laughs> what, you know, hop on, you know. What yeah, would you do? We're, we're, <laughs> uh, you know, I've brought that up to Terry a few times. Like, I, we have a third chassis sitting here that's like kind of our spare in case one of the boys has a very bad weekend and it winds mm-hmm. up in a net or something like that. Or, heck, even if the truck breaks down and the back half of the axles catch on fire and it lights one bike on fire. Who knows? You know, there's always that, that thing. But I said, Terry, we should just put this thing together. And I go, we have a short field. I can jump on it. He's like, no, you're the crew chief. Now focus on it. I'm like, I know I agreed to that a couple of years ago. So there's times I miss it. There's times I don't, honestly. I mean, I think probably about the first time that I really like understood what I miss. I think Joe Costello was the first person that found out. And that was in Richmond last year. At, what was that our third or fourth race in Joe? Yeah. And I told you, I said, the thing I miss the most is the 10 seconds before you pop the clutch. Cause that's my time and nobody could mess with my time. So that was the, probably the, you know, the most serene time you can ever have is clearing your head out for those 10 seconds, not paying attention to who's in the other lane. It's just you and the tree. And once that yellow flashes, it's just time to go and it's game on from there. But that, that was the point in any drag racers time where they have to be the most focused. And that's probably the time I missed the most. Yeah. The speed, the speed is fun. The acceleration is fun, which over time you lose that sense of acceleration. Your G meter goes numb to it and you don't feel the three G's through first gear. You feel the difference of the 0.1 or the 0.2 G's at certain parts of the run. Is the engine pulling at the right RPM? Is it lazy at different parts? Does it suck on the shifts? Is it good at high RPM? Those are all the things that I do miss as being a rider and crew chief because when I tuned my own bike, it was 70% what I felt in my body G-meter, and then I could correlate it with the, the data from the MoTeC. Now I don't really have that, but Gage has given me that, that uh, conduit to get back there. He can really break down a run and figure out what some things that we can't see on the graph. And then we can correlate that and make a change the next run. He could say, yes, it was better or worse. And we can make a whole motorcycle, whole package better from there. And that's where this bike has gotten better this year. Is it's, it's, we talked about it this past race. Like we built a weapon last year because the bike was so good. And unfortunately, I mean, people saw it on gel was just, she was just off on the tree. And we built such a good weapon to to make up for some of those those deficits that I said last race. I said now it's a guided missile. It's not just a weapon. So it's pretty fantastic. Amazing. And I remember that moment, Keith. It was really cool because you know I had kind of brought it up earlier, and then he came over and he was like, "I know, I know what it is." And it's like the the, the ability to clear my mind of everything else. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that again. And, uh, and that was really cool. And it's fun that you uh, you bring that up here and, uh, you know, a couple years later. But I understand. 
I relate. Like you're dealing with a lot of stuff, and that was your time to focus and yep. look at the tree. All right, each episode of Hidden Horsepower ends off with like us trying to motivate the next wave of Andrew Hines's. Uh, machinists, machine shop kids, kids who want to build engines and use their hands and learn machines and try to, you know, make things better. And uh, I've heard a lot of different positive advice in this uh, segment of the show. So what would you say to the person out there who's listening, who's, you know, relatively young person who wants to get into the machine shop trade or something in this arena? Uh, what would you say to them to get ahead, to advance? Uh, you got to find that one thing that really drives that passion and finds finds the fire inside your in your in your brain. I mean, whether it's like for me, it was it was what makes the engine tick and trying to find that next level of performance. And okay, what do I need to achieve that left next level of performance? Like okay, wait, we need an engineer here at the shop that you know maybe just doesn't know how to sketch on a CAD program, but understands. It, once I draw this part, where does it go after that? Okay, it goes to the machine shop. From the machine shop, it goes into the engine. So there's a circle there that luckily I've been, I've been able to fill what we needed here at the shop. And it's the passion I had for it that drove me to want to learn every aspect of each one of those scenarios. I was a machinist in our shop for four years, and I understand the fi- understood the five-axis machine. That made me a better CAD engineer. I needed to be a CAD engineer because we needed to have somebody that understood the engines to draw the parts correctly and not over-engineer it in one place and under-engineer it in another. So if you're finding something, any part of life that you need to be better in, you can take, it's like, you know, I work in SolidWorks and, and a part is nothing typically without its assembly. So there's all these different parts that go into it to make the, the final product the right piece, whether it's going to school for, uh, drafting or uh, mathematics or science or anything like that. There's all these different avenues that have to come together to find and make that one specific thing in your life the best. You just have to find the passion and the will to, to achieve the best parts of that. And you got to push forward. Sometimes things are hard and you don't want to do it anymore, but you know, in the, in the long run, things will ultimately come out the way you want them to. So it's just a matter of uh, understanding in yourself and finding the right people to help support you along the way, and things good good things come out of all those situations. Excellent. Andrew, congratulations. Vance and Hines sweeping the Western Swing, the first three-race Western Swing for the bikes, maybe the last three-race Western Swing for all of us. Uh, I with, hope not. Let's keep going on that one. <laughs> yeah, Bandamere. we got to figure out how to save it or bring it back, or who knows. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Or a new version of the Western Swing, but it'll never be exactly the same without Thunder Mountain, that level of altitude in the air out there. So this was very important, and you guys got it done. Yeah, you know what? That, that honestly... You know, I keep thinking, like, people keep saying, well, maybe the last Western Swing ever. And, you know, after going to Denver and being there and leaving and people saying that, now that you make it real, like, yeah, that they are saying that's the last Bandamere. So it could actually be the last specific Western Swing of that type. I never thought about it in that context. Yeah. No, that's it. Like, yeah. that's the thing. It was even the if first. Bandamere, in- yeah. Even if Bandamere moves to a different location, it's not. Bandamere. <laughs> it's not Bandamere. Right. And from what I gather, yeah. I hear people telling me, like, maybe I'm I'm under the impression the answer is no. That if any of them are done, that one is done. And but you never know. But yeah, this was a very unique situation. You guys had really one opportunity. The bikes in general had one opportunity to do this 
one thing for the first and the last, and you guys did it. That's what makes it so special because there might be another three-race Western Swing, and we'll call it the Western Swing, but it won't be the one that Joe Amato and Greg Anderson and Tony Schumacher and John Force swept. Those three, the altitude, then Seattle, and then Sonoma. Mm-hmm. It will be a different thing that we are calling the Western Swing. It'll be special. Maybe it'll be more special, but it won't be this. And so very unique uh, accolade and accomplishment by you guys. And thank you so much for sharing the details of it here on Hidden Horsepower. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for having us. Great talking to you guys. And uh... I appreciate everything you've done for, for the drag racing in general and moving the needle on everything. You know, you guys at Total Steel have been fantastic to us over the years, and we really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you. We appreciate everything everything that you guys do and your willingness to, we'll say, you know, work together and you know, test all the crazy <laughs> stuff that we both come up with. <laughs> exactly. Great job. Drew, thank you so much. Congratulations once again. Thanks for being on Hidden Horsepower. No problem. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later. There he goes, Andrew Hines. Keith, that was great stuff. 3.6 horsepower per cubic inch. Keith, that's pretty impressive. I like. Should my mind be blown? Should I have been blown by it, that already? It, it is mind-blowing. The efficiency that these guys are getting out of these things is is incredible. But it, it, what's funny is you know, we, we history gets forgotten and then repeated. And you know, we look at, you know, we've had that, that, that mysterious three horsepower per cubic inch number for so long, and these guys are exceeding it. But for those guys that love to get on the Internet, go look back into the 60s at some of the 20,000 RPM Formula One engines. Uh, from back in those days, you're talking, you know, flat 12 carriers, and look at what they made horsepower per cubic inch. It'll flip your lid. Yeah, that's uh, that's insane that they were able to do that stuff with the technology that they had back then, you know, and, and that, yeah. you know, Lake has got it into me, you know, the piston, the starting and the stopping of the piston, right? Like we keep thinking about that, the piston starting and stopping and starting and stopping, accelerating, decelerating, stopping, going the other direction. That's just amazing that anything holds up to that kind of uh, torment. It, it, it truly is. One of the things Andrew had mentioned was, you know, piston speed and they had horrible piston speed in the engine. And that's, again, for those younger listeners out there, uh, you know, look up piston speed because, you can have a, a very high RPM engine, but because it's got such a big bore and such a short stroke, the piston speed's not bad. So even though it's turning a lot of RPM, the piston's not physically moving that fast. Or we can go the other way around, and we start approaching speeds that are known as sonic, and things start coming apart. And the mass becomes such a critical thing because, we're, as Joe said, we're trying to stop it and start it every time it hits top and bottom dead center and change that direction. It's literally trying to blow itself to pieces every time. And, and again, it is amazing how this technology has moved forward, and it's done it because guys like Andrew and the entire team there, they want to go faster. Nobody ever comes at you and says, I'll have a little less. I always want more. Yeah, and Vance and Hines, you know, Andrew's got six world championships. Eddie's got four world championships. Andrew's got 56 wins. Eddie's got 49 wins. That's just the two of them together. Of course, Matt uh, Hines contributed as well. Plus, uh, you know, Terry and Byron, they are a legendary team, and and it's very cool that uh, they're involved in NHRA drag racing, drag racing in general, with all of the different things that they do. Keith, what about the people out there who are interested in – getting a ring package from Total Seal, or have a question for you guys, what should they do? They, they just need to get online, give us a call, email me. You know, the toll-free is 
2753.totalseal.com. Just reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. We want to talk about your project. What is it going to take to make your project the best it can be? Uh, Just earlier today, I had a gentleman reach out to me. He's got an old 426 dual plug, old pro stock engine that's going into a 71 Demon, going to build an old pro stock car, and, you know, helping him bring the internals of that engine into the modern age. Going to look like all the old stuff on the outside, but it's going to have all the new stuff on the inside. And it's so fun, you know, hearing from these customers and, and helping them evolve that engine project. So cool. Also, regarding this podcast, we ask you to subscribe, write a review, all the different things, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, of course, uh, Total Seal's got a YouTube channel. Lake is on there all day, every day. We're doing episodes, different cool things, the Engine Performance Expo. Just follow along with Total Seal. But, Keith, you know, it's been a while. It's been a minute, as the kids say, uh, since we've done some Q&A, like questions from the audience. I think maybe we should get one of those ready. So let's ask the people for their uh, questions. Absolutely. You know, reach out to us. Let us know. We need to do a Q&A session. What, what do you guys want to know? I know what I know, but what don't you know and what would you like to know? So, yeah, let's get all those questions out there. Let's get them asked, and we'll get them answered. You can send them to uh, through our social media channels, whether it be direct message on uh, Facebook or Twitter or however you follow along. Definitely forward your questions, and we'll compile them, and we'll do a Q&A episode in the future. Keith, great job as usual. As to you as well, Jim. And I thank you so much for, again, you know, entertaining a goofball like me. I surely appreciate being part of this. Yeah, I appreciate being a part of this. He's Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales for Total Seal Piston Rings. I'm Joe Costello. You can hear more WFO Radio podcasts. We interview drag racers like Andrew Hines and winning drag racers like Gage Herrera. And Alan Reinhardt joins us on a regular basis. If you like the NHRA, you can find me there. In the meantime, we'll see you on the next episode of Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal Piston Rings.